podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com. EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa, That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, welcome to the show on a Friday, the 18th of November, the last Friday before the World Cup, which starts on Sunday in Qatar with Qatar versus Ecuador. For today, we're just going to have a bit of a ramble through different things and catch up on what's been going on. So uh, first things first, I had a question yesterday that I didn't get to about New York City FC and their new stadium. Uh, which is to be built in Willets Point in Queens. So it looks like what we're looking at here is a case of gentrification, where what is known as the Iron Triangle, which appears to me, looking at images, 
to be an area or a neighborhood largely made up of scrap dealerships, um, mechanics, places to buy wheels and tires, places to buy different body parts, places to get things knocked out of your car and whatever else. Um, that's a community that is going to be shifted somewhere else to make way for this this uh, stadium. And that's always something I have a bit of a hard time with. None of those buildings that are there that I'm looking at are new, which means all of these have been here a long time. And all of these businesses are likely small businesses owned by the same people who've been there for years and years. Uh, but it is what it is, unfortunately. And it's not good. Uh, it's right across the road from City Field, which is the home of the New York Mets, which was largely built on the site of Shea Stadium, which was the old home of the New York Mets. Uh, from what I can make out, there's also going to be a convention center, apartments, retail outlets, a hotel and housing built on the site. So completely turning the area from what it is and what it's always been into something completely new and driving the residents of it, that area out from where they're from um, because they're no longer going to be able to afford to live in those areas. So I don't really like to see this type of thing. Now, for the for New York City FC, it's obviously a good thing they're getting to finally build their own stadium they're not going to have to play at Yankee Stadium anymore, which has always been a bit of a farce because, well, like let's be honest, they're not drawing big enough crowds for Yankee Stadium. And Yankee Stadium is a stadium that was built for baseball. It wasn't built for football. So it's always looked a bit weird as well. It is the first football or soccer-specific stadium to be built in the city of New York, and that is a plus. I think that can have can have benefits in the long run. I think it'll obviously create new jobs, both temporary and permanent, construction jobs and permanent jobs. That's always a plus as well. So all things considered, like you're weighing up pushing people out of where they're from versus you know, progress. I would prefer to allow people to stay where they are. But I understand that in a city like New York, where sort of every square foot is precious, there likely isn't another real op option to build this stadium. And we, we've seen it a few times with different stadiums being built when the Giants and Jets had plans to move on from Giant Stadium. Both of them looked at, you know, different areas and the costs were just outrageous. Now, this is not going to be cheap at all, but I suppose it, it's going in the only place they can really figure out where to put it. I just hope that the people who are being forced out of where their businesses are and where their homes are, are being very well compensated and are going to be able to set up elsewhere and um and move forward but I, you, you know that their lives will never be the be the same the likelihood of all of those businesses many of whom are probably friends who've worked you know 
down the street from each other for years, they're never going to be the same. He's not going to see the same people anymore. Are they going to get the same business anymore? Again, probably not. So uh, I don't really know what to make of it, to be honest. I know that when you get politicians involved, it's all about money and people become less important. The MLS will be thrilled to have an actual football or soccer-specific stadium uh, in New York because if you look at the, um, the New York Red Bulls, they play in New Jersey, in Harrison, New Jersey. That's where they had to go to build their stadium. Now, it's not far away, but it's still not in New York. So New York City FC had to sort of be located in New York City. Like it wouldn't, the name wouldn't make any sense if it wasn't. I suppose it's just going to be a matter of wait and see. It is just going to be a matter of wait and see. But again, you're allowing the City Football Group to get their claws into New York City as well, which is also less than ideal. Uh, injuries, World Cup-wise, Sadio Mane ruled out of the World Cup. He has had knee surgery to reattach a tendon to from his knee to his uh, right fibula. Um, I don't think Senegal have announced yet who's been called up to replace him, but they will likely call somebody up. Uh, let's have a look and see. Senegal national football team. Do, do, do. Current squad. Is it him? Is it Famara Didu? Is he the one who's been called up? I don't remember seeing his name in the previous squad, but I could be wrong. How many have they got here? Three, six, ten. 15, 19. No, they don't. They haven't named anybody yet. So, Habib Diallo, Mami Thiam, and Dembasek are the forward players who've been in the squad recently. Uh, they were all in the squad for the game against Iran in September. So, any of those could be called up. Um, Bubakari Samare, if they wanted to add another midfielder, but they have picked quite a few uh, midfielders for the competition. They, they could call up a defender. Uh, maybe Bunasar, unless he's injured, I don't know. Um, Musa Niakate obviously is injured. He would have been a nice one to have involved if he could have been fit. I would guess Habib Diallo's probably the one that gets the call, assuming he is fit. Um, Argentina have been hit with a couple of injuries. So the first one, Nicolas Gonzalez, was forced to withdraw from the squad. And he was replaced by Angel Correa of Atletico Madrid. I was a little bit surprised Correa wasn't in the initial squad. But he has been um, called up now to replace Nico Gonzalez. Joaquin Correa, who I was surprised was included, he has also had to pull out. And Thiago Almada of Atlanta United has been called up. Super talented young player. Definitely one to keep an eye on if he gets minutes. It's unlikely he'll feature much, 
but it's a great opportunity for him at 21 years of age to be called up to represent his country at this tournament. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, Manchester United take appropriate steps over interview. Manchester United say they're taking appropriate steps after Cristiano's interview in which he said he was betrayed by the club. Uh, reports are that they may well just sack him. They may well just terminate his contract. Now, I don't know what the legal ramifications would be there. They owe him a significant amount of money for the remainder of this season. If I was them, I'd just banish him. If it's going to be a case where this might end up in court and you might end up having to pay him or you're considering sacking him and just paying him off, I'd just send him home to make him sit at home for six months because that would drive him absolutely miserable. Just tell him he's no longer welcome at the club. But don't terminate his contract. Just leave him sitting and see what happens there. Watch watch the next interview that he has. That'll be even funnier. Alcohol sales have been banned at stadiums in Qatar. Alcohol will not be sold to fans at World Cups at wor the World Cup's eight stadiums in Qatar after FIFA changed its policy two days before the start of the tournament. FIFA did not change the policy. Qatar changed their stance. That's what happened. Now, you can still buy alcohol in select areas, but only in the corporate areas where the average ticket price is 19 grand a seat. Qatar promised that you would be allowed to buy alcohol at stadiums, and they have reneged on that promise. And I'm sure they will renege on more promises as we go forward. Uh, Bud Zero will remain available at all World Cup stadiums. You will be able to buy alcohol at the fan festival and other fan destinations and licensed venues, but not at the stadium itself. Budweiser have the exclusive right to sell beer at the World Cup. Um, they've been a major sponsor of FIFA for a long time, and I believe they've paid $75 million for the rights to exclusively sell their product at this World Cup. Uh, they tweeted out, well, this is awkward, and uh, then deleted the tweet. But we'll see what happens. Um, it's obviously potentially opening up a, a legal case between Budweiser and FIFA. But at the end of the day, nobody can be surprised. Nobody can be surprised that this has happened. I, I'm not advocating for the sale of alcohol. I just think the Qataris should have said it earlier that they weren't going to allow it rather than make out that they were and then renege on that. Like if they want to say, oh, well, you know, religious practice, etc., that's fine. Absolutely. That's your belief. That's fine. But don't pretend you're going to do one thing and then turn around and do something completely different because you're the one who is trying to prove yourself to the world. We've got a top 10 World Cup upsets. Again, it is Shearer and Micka Richards. South Korea 2, Italy 1 is their number 10. That game 
had some of the worst refereeing you'll ever see. Netherlands 5, Spain 1 in 2014 is number 9. This was only really a surprise because of the scoreline. The Dutch victory wasn't a huge surprise. Remember, the Dutch had finished as runners-up at the previous World Cup. And Spain had won three international tournaments in a row. They'd lost some important players. And were probably just exhausted. Because especially when you consider most of that squad was kind of Barcelona, Real Madrid. Barca had been going deep in the European Cup year after year after year. Real had been having decent runs. They were going head-to-head for league titles and getting over 90 points. So those players were probably just trashed by the time they got to that World Cup. East Germany won West Germany nil at the 1974 World Cup. I would imagine if the East German side had been drug-tested, they would have blown up many a lab. Senegal won France nil in 2002. Again, France came in as defending champions. They'd also won the Euros in 2000. Again, they were probably exhausted, but this one was an enormous shock. Nobody expected Senegal to lay a glove on them. But as it turned out, France were just dreadful at that World Cup, took one point from the three group stage matches and went home. Senegal went on to reach the quarterfinals with El Hajj Juf as the star attraction. Uh, and unfortunately, that was the pinnacle of his career. Scotland 2, sorry, Scotland 3, Netherlands 2 in 1978. The Dutch would go on to win, oh, sorry, to, to finish runners up. They got to the final. But this. This is probably the peak of Scottish football. That Archie Gamel goal is is absolutely legendary. It's been played over and over and over again. Absolutely magnificent goal. Uh, Spain nil, Switzerland won in 2010. Spain came in as European champions. They were favourites of the World Cup. And they lost to Switzerland, but obviously bounced back and went on to win the World Cup. Uh, USA won England nil in 1950. Michael Richards picked that as number one. Um, England just weren't very good at the time. The only reason it was a surprise is because arrogance, really. Uh, Argentina nil, Cameroon uh, Cameroon won 1990. I will never, ever forget watching that game. Argentina had come in as favourites. They'd won it in 86. Maradona was undeniably the best player in the world. And Cameroon came in and just kicked them all over the San Siro. The opening ceremony was spectacular. The stadium at the time was the best stadium in Europe. Everything was set for Maradona to just kick off this World Cup in genius fashion. And yet Cameroon just kicked the life out of them. They had two players sent off. It could have been four or five. But they got the win, and that's all that really mattered. Spain nil, Northern Ireland won in 1982. Shearer picked this as his number one surprise. Um, Yeah, Spain were, were the hosts. Spain were expected to do well, and uh, they just didn't. <laughs> they just didn't at all. 
And the number one then is Italy nil, North Korea won in 1966. Um, this won't have been a surprise to anyone in North Korea who, you know, has been told that North Korea won every World Cup in existence. But this was an enormous surprise. Uh, played at Middlesbrough's Airsome Park. Italy just needed a draw to reach the quarterfinals. Lost and went home. Less than ideal. Less than ideal. Uh, that's a fun list, though. That is a fun list. Those surprises, hopefully we get one or two big surprises at this World Cup. Like, it wouldn't be an enormous surprise, but I'd love to see Serbia beat Brazil. I'd love to see it. But I'd love one of the smaller nations to upset somebody. You know, either Qatar or Saudi Arabia or somebody to upset somebody. By smaller nations, I do, of course, mean in footballing terms, Saudi Arabia is an enormous nation. Uh, but in footballing terms, they are a minnow. Uh, what else do we have? Giovan Bronckhorst's first year at Rangers assessed. Uh, he won a cup. He got to a European final. But all in all, it hasn't been great. I think that's about as fair as I can say. It hasn't been great. He took over from Gerrard with a squad that had been built at significant expense in Scottish terms. He has won nearly 62% of his games. 42 wins, 12 draws and 14 defeats. But they're well behind Celtic in the league right now. Um, currently sitting nine points behind. Mostly because they've just drawn too many games. Like they've drawn with Hibernian, they've drawn with Livingston, they've drawn with St. Mirren, they've lost to Celtic and St. Johnston. Celtic have only dropped points in one game in which they lost, but it's 14 wins from 15 for them, 42 points. For Rangers, it's 10 wins, three draws, and two defeats. If it was 13 wins and two defeats, I don't think Rangers fans would be too upset. They are going well. In the uh, Scottish League Cup, they're in the semi-finals where they will face Aberdeen. And should they get through, they will face the winner of Celtic and Kilmarnock. So you'd expect it to be a Celtic Rangers final. Uh, they reached the Champions League, which Gerard hadn't done. They got whooped in their group, though, and they go down as the worst team in Champions League history. So that's a bit embarrassing, but let's be clear. The money made just from getting whooped six times in the Champions League has saved them from financial disaster because Gerrard had spent massive amounts and they had been pushed to the edge of financial trouble again. Failure to make, make the Champions League last season under Gerrard when they lost to Malmo really hurt the club. And Gerard left in November. Bear in mind that in November, when he left, they weren't going particularly well in the UEFA Cup. They'd lost their first two games. They got a win at home to Bromby and a, way, and a draw away to Bromby. 
But they'd lost to Sparta Prague, they'd lost to Leon. And if it hadn't been for Van Bronckhorst turning things around, they'd have gone out in the group stage. But they went on, went on beat Sparta, drew at Leon, and qualified. They knocked out Borussia Dortmund. They knocked out Red Star Belgrade. They knocked out Braga. They knocked out RB Leipzig. And then they only lost on penalties to Eintracht Frankfurt. Like they're a couple of penalty kicks away from having won the Europa League, which would be one of the great achievements in the history of Scottish football. So that's how close Van Bronckhorst came. Now, that run in the in the Europa League, it did hamper their league form, without doubt. But, you know, he took over. They were top. He kept them top all the way through until late January. And then they end up finishing second, four points behind. Because as the Europa League started to really ramp up, they started to have to rotate a bit more and they end up losing twice to Celtic, but more damaging draws with Dundee, with Motherwell. They win those four games, uh, those two games rather, all of a sudden they're level in points. The Celtic's goal difference was outrageous. But, you know, that Ross County draw as well. So there's three. They win those three games, Ross County, Dundee and Motherwell, they win the league by two points. They only lost twice in the league under Gio last year. Twice this year. Four league losses. Won the Scottish Cup. Beat Celtic in the semi-final. Went out in the semi-final stage of the League Cup, um, which obviously Celtic went on to beat. Hibernian in the final, Hibs had knocked out Rangers. But, I, I I mean, it hasn't been great. It hasn't been ideal. But it hasn't been the disaster that some people have made it out to be. That run in the Europa League, getting into the Champions League, those are big, big things. And people should ask what they prefer. Like, when Celtic were dominating... Scottish football while Rangers were in their foundation period and going through, coming up through the low, the lower leagues Celtic were routinely getting embarrassed in Europe but dominating domestically and the reason they were able to dominate domestically was because there was no Rangers because Rangers ceased to exist and had to start out at the bottom as a new club and work the way back up but I do remember hearing a lot of Celtic fans at the time lament the fact that they were getting their doors blown off in the in European competition season after season. It was particularly embarrassing under Rodgers. But you can't have both at that level. They don't have the budget to do both. And Rangers did more in one season in the Europa League than Celtic have done in Europe in probably eight years. But Celtic have seven league titles in those eight years and Rangers have won. So which do you want? 
Do you want domestic success or do you want European success? Because one comes at the cost of the other. That's just how it is. You don't have the budget or the talent to really compete at the elite level and try and take care of business at home. You can fo force all your energy and all your attention and all your resources into Europe and hope it goes well, but it will come at the cost of domestic success. We still won a cup last year. I think that matters. There's been some suggestion that the reason they haven't fired him is because they can't actually afford it. Um, it's potentially true. Potentially true. But the other thing I would say that I think has been overlooked a little bit is that this past summer, Celtic sold, or sorry, Rangers sold Joe Arebo for substantial amounts of money, Calvin Bassey for substantial amounts of money, and a couple of others, and then spent less than 10 million or in and around 10 million to replace them. They made about 25 million profit on their summer, all told. And one of the reasons they had to do that was because of the reckless spending under Gerard. Like Gerard spent more money at Rangers in two and a bit years than all other Scottish clubs combined. And I don't just mean in their league. I mean all Scottish clubs combined, up and down the leagues. His wage bill at Rangers was higher than all other Scottish clubs combined bar Celtic. So I have a tough time really criticising Van Bronckhorst too much. Gerard knew this was coming. He knew the financial pinch was coming. That's part of why he went off to Aston Villa. Wasn't just the chance to manage in the Premier League. That would have come again. But he knew that a reckoning was coming. And as it was, it was that they lost Calvin Bassey and Joe Rebo, who were two of their three or four best players. Maybe they're two best players. Maybe. And there wasn't going to be the money to replace them with like-for-like like quality. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have a chat about a few other things. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, um, I was just thinking about Mane and the fact that it probably is his last chance at a World Cup in his prime, but that he probably will get another World Cup because he'll only be 34 when 2026 rolls around. And when we look at this year's World Cup, there's a lot of players 34 and older. Um, so I was thinking about the fact that this is the last time we will see a lot of these players at a World Cup. Now, there's a few players we won't have heard of all that much, or at least I haven't. Hernan Galindez, the... Um, Ecuador goalkeeper 
35, not someone I'm familiar with, but Ener Valencia of Ecuador is 33. You would imagine this is his last World Cup. The Netherlands, it's definitely Remco Pasfier's last World Cup. He's 39. Stefan de Vries is 30. I would assume it'll be his last World Cup as well. Given his already physical, like his existing physical issues, the lack of pace, I think it's probably his last one. It's definitely Luke de Jong's last one. Probably Steven Berghaus's last one. I think Van Dijk can play another one because he's that good. I think he'll be fine when he's 35. Martin Darun, I don't imagine, gets another one. Veghorst, I don't imagine, gets another one. And Vincent Janssen and Davy Klassen, who are under 30, I think this is probably their last hurrah at the, this level as well. Um, in terms of Qatar, Roro, the Brazilian nationalised to Qatari right back, likely his last one. Uh, Hatim, the midfielder, he's 32 as well, likely his last one. Alhedos, who's their captain, is 31. But given how he plays, he'd probably be all right to go again in four years. But it's very unlikely, to be fair, it's very unlikely any of these players play the World Cup again because it's very unlikely Qatar qualify for a World Cup again. Or at least, not again, but anytime soon. So likely the last or, or only World Cup for most of these players. Um, Senegal. Koulibaly, I don't think he's still knocking around in, in four years. Idrissa Gay shouldn't be. Czech Koyate shouldn't be. Like I said, I think Sadio will be fine. I think Edouard Mendy will be fine. Goalkeepers tend to be okay, especially big ones that aren't necessarily reliant on uh, athleticism and agility. He's a, a you know a big unit. Um, Kyle Walker, definitely his last one. Henderson shouldn't be at this World Cup, doesn't deserve to be based on form, but it'll be his last one. Last one for Trippier as well. I would guess last and only one for Cody. Um, Callum Wilson, very, very hard to see him at the next one. Would also be very, very surprised if Harry Maguire is still in the squad the next time. Um, would be surprised if Luke Shaw or Jack Grealish are in the squad for the next one. I think Harry Kane might be. He'll only be 33. So unless he really degrades physically, I think he'll be okay, even as a squad player. He'll still be scoring goals. Raheem Sterling, I assume, plays at another one. Uh, Nick Pope is only 30 and he's a goalkeeper, so he should be okay. Just a matter of if England produce any decent goalkeepers. Eric Dyer just seems to find his way into World Cup squads, so he'll be 32, but I wouldn't put it past him. And all the rest should be fine in terms of age and, and level. Uh, for Iran, there's a lot of these players. It's probably the last one. I won't go through them all. But Tarimi, Yahan Bikesh, I have a feeling it might be the last the last dance for them, for certain. For the USA, it should be the last World Cup for coach Greg Berhalter. Player-wise, Zimmerman. Reem, Long, and Yedlin. Oh, and Sean Johnson, the third-choice keeper. None of them should be at the next World Cup. 
America have too much talent to be taking up spots for players like that. Uh, for the Welsh, Wayne Hennessy, definitely last one. Gunter, definitely last one. Probably the last one for Ben Davies. Definitely the last one for Joe Allen. I would be stunned if Aaron Ramsey is still playing in four years. I'd be stunned if Gareth Bale is still playing in four months. Um, Probably the last one for Kiefer Moore. Probably the last one for Johnny Williams. Just with the injuries that that poor lad has had, I, I would guess. Um, That's probably it there. Argentina, there's a few here. Uh, Franco Armani, almost certainly. His last one. Tagliafico, his last one. Pizella should be his last one. Acuna should be his last one. Messi will be 39. I mean, there's a chance, but I wouldn't back it. I think it's the last World Cup for Di Maria. I'm stunned Ruli is at the World Cup, so it should be his last one too. Papu Gomez won't be around in four years. Nicolas Otamendi absolutely should not be in four years. But if Messi's still playing, Otamendi will probably still be in the squad. Um... Dybala is an interesting one. He's 29. He's having a lot of injury issues. So we'll wait and see. But I wouldn't back him to be out of the World Cup. Mexico have a 40-year-old goalkeeper. He definitely shouldn't be there next time. Uh, Nestor Arejo, don't think he's still there. Raul Jimenez won't be. Uh, Rogelio Funes Mori shouldn't be. Rodolfo Cota, he's 35. Wouldn't expect him to be there. Guillermo Ochoa is their first-choice goalkeeper. He's 37, so that's a a 37-year-old, a 40-year-old, and a 35-year-old. They're the Mexican goalkeepers here. Uh, Ochoa will still most likely be playing and still be outrageously good, only at the World Cup, though. Um, Hector Moreno, Hector Herrera, Andreas Guardado, I don't see them playing. Hector Herrera, maybe. Maybe. Not the other two. And Henry Martin, he's 30. Hard to see that he's still around. The thing is, Mexico are hosts of the next World Cup. So they're going to be there. As a country, they're guaranteed to be there. They'd be they'd be there anyway because they breezed through that qualifying. But there might be a little part of a couple of these players, maybe like Jimenez, who just wants that one last chance in front of their own fans. Um, So even though I've said they won't be or they shouldn't be, I wouldn't rule it out for a few of them. Poland. Chesney's 32. They've got good young goalkeepers. This should be his last one. Um, Jedrzejczyk is 35. Unlikely he's at another one. Lewandowski is 34. The way he looks after himself, I wouldn't put it past him to play at another one. But it would be unlikely. Krzyzowiak is very much declined, so it won't, he won't be at another one. I don't think Camille Grzycki, uh will be either. Lukas Skorupski, I don't think he makes another one. Camille Glick, no. Uh, I, should, I shouldn't think so anyway. Um, Berezinski, be 34 at the next one, but it's possible. And the rest should be okay. For the Saudis, I genuinely have no idea who most of these players are. Uh, Salman Al-Faraj, he's 34, probably doesn't play another one. Mohamed Al-Brek is 30, don't think he'll play another one. 
Aldazari, he's 31, probably doesn't play another one. There's a couple of other 30-year-olds. Um, I, I I don't know is the answer. They seem to look after themselves, though. Um, and obviously living in that kind of nice temperatures and sunshine and all that kind of stuff, and all being treated very preferentially, um, does help. For Australia, Matt Ryan could play another one, though. He is a smaller goalkeeper who relies heavily on athleticism and, and reflexes, so maybe not. Probably the last one for Matthew Leckie. Uh, Andrew Redmayne is 33. I don't think he'll be at another one. Aaron Moy won't be at another one. Aziz Behich, I don't think he'll be at another one. Danny Vukovic will be 41 next time the World Cup comes around, so I'm guessing not. I don't think Craig Goodwin will be either. The Danes, Kasper Schmeichel, this should be his last hurrah. Same for Simon Kjær. Same for Thomas Delaney, Martin Braithwaite. Ericsson, I think, could play at another one. He's only 30. Given what happened to him, I think he'll want to play as long as possible. Um, I don't know that Norgard will hold up till another one. Stryger Larson almost certainly done after this one. Daniel Vass, almost certainly done after this one. Andreas Cornelius might still be knocking around. He'll only be 33. Uh, Frederick Renault will be 34, but he's a goalkeeper, so he should be okay. For the French, it's the last one for Larice. It's almost certainly the last one for Griezmann. It's, you would imagine, the last one for Giroud. Probably the last one for Veritois. Definitely the last one for Mandanda. Again, with Benzema, you'd imagine so, but you just wouldn't put it past him. Especially the way, like, he continues to seemingly get better after the age of 30. So you wouldn't put it past him at all. Um, and that's about it. All the rest are quite young and uh, could be the last one for Varane. He's 29. He's had a lot of injury problems. He, I don't know that Rafa Varane loves football all that much. Like I said yesterday, got to the age of 25. It kind of won everything and has really been skating since. So, uh, Tunisia, Belilifa, Amin Madlouti, the goalkeeper, those two definitely get done. Um, Mazakni, it's probably his last one. He's 32. Kazri, probably his last one. To be fair, this is quite, there's quite a few older players in this squad. Um, let's move on. Costa Rica, I, I, I don't know. Is the answer Keylor Navas, 35? You'd guess so, but you just, wouldn't put it past him. He can still do a job. Um, Brian Ruiz is his last one. Definitely. <laughs> Oscar Duarte, probably his last one. Johan Venegas, probably his last one. Um, Joel Campbell might play another one. He's only 30. And he, he's the type that, with his, his body type, unless he starts to break down, he should be okay. Uh, Kendall Waston. His definitely last one. The Germans, it's almost certainly Nauer's last one. I would guess it's Rudiger's last. I think it's Ginter's last. I think it's uh, Fulkrug's only. Gotz's last for sure. Trapp's last. Muller's last for certain. Jonas Hoffman won't go to another one. Ilke Gundigan probably doesn't go to another one. Testegen will be 34, but as a goalkeeper, I think he'll be all right. He might go to the next one as the first-choice starter. 
he's got to be the best number two goalkeeper that anyone's ever had at international level. Oh, well, no, not the best ever because Ray Clements. So since Ray Clements, who's who's been better as a number two goalkeeper for a national team since Ray Clements was number two to Shilton? I'd struggle to think of one. Tershtegen, he's had a couple of ropey years, but he's bounced back this year. He's been otherworldly this season. Uh, he had two bad years, but he has been sensational for a long, long time. Tremendous goalkeeper. Uh, for Japan, Kawashima is 39, so his last one. Taniguchi's 31, his last one. Nagatomo, 36, absolutely his last one. Fella can barely run anymore as it is. Um, Shibasaki is 30 the way he plays maybe he could scrape it out till 34 Gonda is 33 <clears throat> probably his last one Hiroki Saki is definitely his last one I think he's already said that uh, Maya Yoshida it's his last one Daniel Schmidt he's only 30 so he'll probably be fine because he's a goalkeeper for the Spanish Aspilicueta definitely Busquets definitely Morata, if there is a god. Koke, probably. Jordi Alba, definitely. Pablo Sarabia, again, if there is a god. And Danny Carvial, most likely. The Belgians is interesting because it, you'd imagine it's the last one for, for Alderweireld, the last one for Vertonghen, the last one for Witzel. It might be the last one for De Bruyne. It's almost certainly the last one for Hazard. It's likely the last one for Mignolet. It's definitely the last one for Mertens. It's probably the last one for Mounier. Probably the last one for Thorgan Hazard. Probably the last one for Hans Vanagen. That's a lot of players to lose. That's a lot of players to lose. So they're going to have to regenerate their squad. They do have some really talented young players. Really, really talented young players. Arthur Tiete is good. Wood Faze we've seen in the Premier League this year. Looking fairly good since he settled in. Gary Thielman is a young player anymore. He's still only 25 and he'll take over the mantle as one of the leaders. You've got Charles de Catelier. You've got Louis Appenda. You've got uh, Zeno de Bast. You've got Jeremy Doku. You've got the, the boy at Everton, Amadou Onana. You've got Romeo Lavia. There's there's always talent. Yuri Vacheron, another really talented player. So I think Belgium are going to be all right. It will be a blow to lose some of their greatest ever players, but you never know. Maybe a less star-focused team will have more success down the line. Uh, for the Canadians, uh, Stephen Vettura, definitely. Junior Hoylet, definitely. Atiba Hutchinson, you would imagine so. He is 39. Um and Milan Borian, that's and Jonathan Asario probably, David Wotherspoon probably. But again, they're one of the hosts in four years, so I wouldn't put it past some of these players to try and cling on a little bit past when they probably should have retired. For the uh Croatians, a uh, Borna Sosa probably, Perisic almost certainly, Lovren if there is a god, uh Kramaric almost certainly, Modric. Definitely. Brozovic, probably. And Vida, yeah, you'd imagine so. Um, 
Levija, I think it's probably his last one. Orsic might be okay. For Morocco, Bono's probably all right because he's 31, but he's a goalkeeper. Uh, Romain Sice, given he's moved to centre-back, maybe he gets another one. He'd be 36, but he is their, cap their captain, so he might stick around. Uh, Hamdala, probably his last one. Aliamic, yeah, I would guess his last one. I don't think he's going to age particularly well. And that's probably it. Oh, Gibran, he's, he's probably done after this one. Uh, for the Brazilians, Danilo, Thiago Silva, Casemiro, Alexandro, Neymar, Dani Alves, Everton, Ribeiro. I wouldn't expect to see any of them in four years. Wouldn't expect to see Fabinho. Wouldn't expect to see Fred or Alex Tellez either. So they could lose quite a few. Uh, I do know they've been mucking about with some maybe interesting upgrades of what their 11 looked like it was going to be, which is that Eder Militao is probably going to start right back now. And Lucas Paqueta might well start in central midfield over Fred. Left back still seems to be up in the air between Alex Sandro and Alex Tellez. Tellez is probably the better player now, but he's had a rough old time of it for the last 18 months. Uh, Cameroon. Encolo, definitely. Abubakar might make it. Uh, you know, if he, if he stays playing in the Middle East, it's not going to tax his body too much. He'd be 34, so he might stick around. That's probably it for them. It's probably just Encolo. All the rest probably could play in four years. It can be as well. Like he's only 30, but big, powerful striker like him, he might just be able to hang on. Um, Samuel Eto'o has predicted, predicted Cameroon to beat Morocco in the final, having beaten Senegal in the semi-final. He's picked all the African teams to qualify from their groups. I assume he's doing that to, like, carry some some goodwill with those nations on his own, but he can't seriously think that's going to happen. Uh, Serbia. Gudej, probably his. Tadic, yeah, you'd imagine him. Stefan Mitrovic, probably. Filip Kostic, probably. Filip Durisic, probably. And Filip Mladenovic, maybe. I would imagine all the rest will probably be fine to play in four years because it is fairly young squad. It's all kind of 21 to 28, bar the few I mentioned there. Uh, the Swiss, Jan Sommer, almost certainly. Remo Freuler, probably. Haris Severovic, probably. Granit Xhaka, probably. Renato Stefan, probably. Ricardo Rodriguez, probably. Fabian Frey, probably. Jordan Shakiri probably. And Christian Fasnacht, probably. This is probably the last World Cup for all of them. But again, I wouldn't put it past any of them to just cling on for another four years. Uh, the Ghanaians, Jordan Ayu and Andre Ayu. I think it's their last one. Dennis Adoy, it's his only one. And it's 
probably the last one for Thomas Partey, though it might not have anything to do with what he's doing on the football pitch. Um, Portugal, Rui Patricio, it should be his last one. It's it's definitely Pepe's last one. He's 39. It should be Cristiano Ronaldo's last World Cup. Uh, it should be Danilo Pereira's last one. It should be William Carvalho's last one. João Mario, I would suggest, is probably his last one as well. Uh, Ricardo Huerta, I would guess, your last one as well, son. And maybe João Canseo as well. Just because I don't know how well his game will age, because he's he's not very good defensively. And if he loses his ability to get forward, maybe he could just move into midfield. Maybe that's just the answer there. Uh, South Korea... Sung Gyoi, he'll be 36. Might be okay because he's a goalkeeper. Uh, Kim Kim Jin Su, probably his last one. He'll be 34. He is a left back. Takes a bit more to get up and down. Uh, Young Hu Young, or Jung Hu Young, uh, almost certainly his last one. Sung Young Min, I think, will play another one because he takes ridiculously good care of himself. Sun Jun Ho, probably his last one. Huang Yi Zhou, probably his last one. Kim Young Guan, probably his last one. Kwon Kyung Won, probably his last one. Joe Hyun Woo, I'm guessing he plays another one because he's 31 and a goalkeeper. Uh, Kim Tae Hwan, it's his last one for certain. He'll be 37. He stands out a little bit like a sore thumb as, as well at national level. Uh, Uruguay then. This is the last one. And this is where there's a lot. Muslera, definitely. Godin, definitely. Vicino, almost certainly. Suarez, definitely. Sebastian Sosa, definitely. Sebastian Cuates, definitely. Edinson Cavani, definitely. Martin Caceres, Definitely. Sergio Roche is 29. He might be the goalkeeper who takes over from Muslera. Uh, but they're going to lose a lot of players. Now, they have got a bunch of really exciting young players and, you know, others that have already stepped in. The likes of Valverde, the likes of Ronald Arejo, the likes of Darwin Nunes, they're going to carry the next generation for Uruguay. Um, and, you know, with, with Manuel Agart developing the way he is, he's going to be part of that core I would imagine that Facundo Palestri will be part of that core. I think Facundo Torres will be part of the core. Uh, Matthias Oliveira and Matthias Vigna. They need to figure out how to put both of them in the team together. It might require a back three. You play one as the left centre-back, one as the left wing-back. With Jose Jimenez in the middle of the back three, because he's likely the next captain and Ronald Arreo on the right of the back three. You need to find a right wing back. But then you've got, in midfield, you've got Bentoncourt, Dela Cruz, Valverde, Ugarit, uh, Dierschetta, he'll be around for a while. You've got Lucas Torreira. It's a pretty strong midfield group. And then you go... like I would For me, I would be looking at Valverde and Ugarit as the two who'll step forward from the group. And then up front, you go Darwin with maybe Palestri and Torres either side or if one of the other strikers kicks on. Right wing back and goalkeeper are the two positions I would have some big questions over. Everything else, 
I think is pretty good. Like you look at some of the attacking options that didn't make it. Um, Augustine Alvarez Martinez, I think he's going to be a big player for them. I think Brian Ocampo can be a big player for them. Diego Rossi definitely can. He's very talented. Martin Satriano, they've got big hopes for. Diago Borbas, they've got big hopes for. Um, in midfield, Fabrizio Diaz is a really, really nice look player. Uh, Cesar Arejo's at Orlando as well. He's quite good. Don't know Santiago Rodriguez. Don't know Juan Manuel Sanabria. But 22 already been in the squad. So you'd hope that they'll get more opportunities. Um, Gaston Alvarez is another defender who is quite highly regarded. I don't know Federico Pereira, but he is a right back and they're going to need one of them. So it might be his time to step up. And there's a few, there's actually six goalkeepers who've been in the squad. Now, one's 38, never been capped. One's 39, never been capped. There's a fella called Kevin Dawson. Uh, is Kevin Emiliano Dawson Blanco. A, a real South American goes by Emiliano Blanco. Uh, but he's going by Kev Dawson. So fair play. Um, Santiago Mele, he might be an option to step in as goalkeeper. It's it's a position of concern. Um, Sergio Roche is decent. He's the captain of Nacional. Just won the league title there. He is decent and probably should have had more caps to date. But he's been in Europe a couple of times. He was at AZ Alkmaar. He was at Sivaspor. Neither of them really went all that well. So, uh, you know, I don't know how what his actual level is. Um, remains to be seen, I suppose. And that's it. That is who we've got. That's probably their last World Cup. That's a lot of players. So this this is a World Cup. While it's not ideal and it's a bit unsavory, and we all have legitimate gripes about it from whatever point of view, the fact that it's on at this time of year, the fact that it was given to them as a result of corruption, the fact that they're going back on promises, the fact that there are very serious questions to be asked over their treatment of migrant workers, the deaths of migrant workers, their approach to LGBTQ rights, uh, on that topic, do please check out on anfieldindex.com a podcast called Mindfield, if you haven't heard it. The last two are absolutely outstanding. Uh, so go and listen to those. They're about the issues around this World Cup and having it in Qatar. So do listen to those. Um, like I said earlier, not selling beer doesn't bother me at all. Because, you know, if you can't enjoy the game without a beer you're not really a football fan. You're more of a beer fan, in my view. And I, I stand happy to listen to people's arguments, but it's 90 minutes. You can, you can, well, it's, no, it's not 90 minutes. Let's be fair. It's, it's about two hours between getting in half time and getting out plus the game. It's over two hours, but still, you can do without a beer for two hours. You just can and then you can go and get absolutely upside down airlocked afterwards. You don't have to drink during the game. So, you know, I'm not going to get annoyed at it. I just think it's bad that they said they would allow it and now they've turned around and said we're not allowing it. That, to me, is where the real negative is. A um, couple of other little bits and pieces. Liverpool owner Tom Werner, or Tom Werner, 
rather says that they are exploring a sale of the club, but that there's no real rush on it. Uh, BBC pundits have made their predictions for the World Cup. So who will win? Alan Shearer says Argentina. Micah Richards says Brazil. Chris Sutton says France. Alex Scott says Brazil. Ashley Williams says Brazil. Farrah Williams says Brazil. Jermaine Genus says Argentina. Karen Bardsley says Brazil. Rio Ferdinand says Brazil. Rob Green says Brazil. Gabby Logan says Argentina. Danny Murphy says Argentina. Danny Gabadon says France and Jurgen Klinsmann says Argentina. Oh, hang on. Farrah Williams said England. Oh, God. Yeah, should, my head is telling me with the squad Brazil have, they will win it. Their squad's not actually that good. Um, the depth of their attackers is the best out of all the squads. Is it? Is it really? They don't have a number nine that's of repute. Um, yeah, she's gone for England. So, two went for France, Chris Sutton and Danny Gabadon. I'm going to go for France as well. I don't, I just think, I just think they've got the best squad. I think they've got the best depth everywhere. Losing Nkunku is a big blow. My big concern about them is the manager. He's just not very good. Um, but the majority here have picked Brazil and I think the majority of them are buffoons. So I'm going to go with France. Um, what are England's chances? I would suggest they'll be quarterfinals and probably home then. Um, my dark horse is my two dark horses are Uruguay and Serbia. As top scorer, I'm gonna say Mbappe because I think he will win it. I think the golden ball for the best player will probably end up with Lionel Messi. It would be the perfect way for Messi to end his career, to win the World Cup, and then just mic drop and leave. But I assume he'll stick around for another couple of years. Um, Maurizio Pochettino is joining BBC Sports team for television coverage. I can't help but notice that there are more and more people working for BBC and The Athletic, and it makes me wonder if maybe The Athletic's a little bit compromised. Um, he is... It's compromised anyway, but he's he's working for both during the World Cup. Uh, I think trying to just keep his name in, in people's thoughts. Uh, he's one of the experts lined up for The Athletic, and I think he's a good expert to have. I don't know what his punditry is going to be like. Um, his English isn't spectacularly good, so I, I'll be curious to see if he can get his points across because I know he's a super intelligent guy and I've seen him speaking in Spanish and seen professional translators translate it and it's fascinating the way he can dive into a game. I just don't know if he'll be able to do the same thing trying to translate it himself to English. Now, I'm sure his English has improved significantly since he was at like Southampton in his early days at Spurs, but... It's not to the point where I think he'll be as 
as detailed in his definitions and his analysis as he would be if he was doing it in Spanish. We'll wrap up with the old gossip then. Uh, a January deal could be on the cards for Liverpool to sign Jude Bellingham. That is Football Insider. Is it the great man? It is Wayne VC. Spoofer extraordinaire. So that's nonsense. Speaking of spoofers. Oh, how did I let this go so long before bringing this up? This is magnificent. If you all draw your attention to the Twitter profile of one Fabrizio Romano, um, you will see his pinned tweet. Thanks for all your support, your votes, your love, your appreciation of the jury's decision made this dream come true. Best Football Journalist Award makes me so proud, as there are many great journalists, friends in football, and they deserve to. Thanks. Here we go. The absolute spoofer has been awarded best football journalist. Fabio Capello looks mortified to be handing him that trophy because Capello likely knows this fella's a spoofer. Uh, it goes to show what lying, what stealing other people's work, and what underpaying interns and overworking interns can do for you. Uh, so congrats on your award there. Uh, Chelsea, if you... Sorry, Liverpool and Juventus are monitoring the contract situation of Mason Mount. Chelsea view Mount as a future club captain, but his current deal makes him one of the lowest paid players in the squad. He earns less at the moment than Carney Chukwueke. Yeah. Liverpool sent scouts to the World Cup to watch Athletic Bilbao striker Nico Williams in action for Spain. I do like him. He's quite exciting. Former Tottenham Southampton and PSG boss Maurizio Pochettino says he would be open to everything when asked if he would be interested in becoming England manager. Um, that would be a strange one for him. He'd certainly be much better than Southgate, though. Leicester believe they can reach a deal with Yuri Tielemans. I think they're delusional if that's the case. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Chelsea winger Hakim Ziyech hopes to impress at the World Cup to earn a move away. Fulham, Bayern Leverkusen and Villarreal are interested in signing Cedric Soares from Arsenal in January. I don't, I don't imagine so. Aston Villa rejected the chance to sign João Polinia before he signed for Fulham. I don't think that's true because they had Bubakar Kamara wrapped up and I don't know why you'd sign both of them. Former Barcelona and Liverpool striker Luis Suarez has turned down an offer to join Gremio once his contract with National expires. I'm guessing he'd rather come back to Europe. Poland's national team were escorted by fighter jets on their way to Qatar for the World Cup. I assume this is after the incident with the the missile that crossed over into Poland and killed two people the other day. So understandable. Uruguay and Argentina have taken have each taken nine hundred kilograms of meat to Qatar, so the players and staff can have a taste of home during the World Cup. It's what you like to see. Bring your own cows to the World Cup. Qataris want FIFA to reverse the decision to allow beer to be sold. Yeah, this is what we've already talked about. So there we go. That is it. Um, 
World Cup starts on Sunday, so the actual stuff to talk about on Monday. I won't be around Tuesday, and it's possible to skip out another day as well next week, but then things will be back to more normal. So uh, have a good weekend. Enjoy yourselves. I would suggest watching that Ecuador-Qatar game just out of morbid curiosity, and because I think Ecuador are going to be quite good, and there's, there's some really good young players in their squad, like... Caicedo and Hinkapi. So give them a watch for nothing else. All right. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. Podcast Network.